Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. All right, folks, we're going to talk to Neil Solons today, the race pre- and post-game host on this podcast. We'll dig into the race pitching plans going forward and hopefully into the postseason as well as who may be joining the race from Durham in October and what was behind dropping four or five heading into game two of their series with Toronto, which is ongoing as we begin uh, taping this podcast. But first, let's get to the Bucks who returned to work in preparation for their game on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. Some bad news. I think this is not going to turn out uh, really very well for the Bucks. Of course, Sean Murphy bunting, the uh, talented starting cornerback for the Bucks. We saw him dislocate his elbow in the season opener against the Dallas Cowboys on that first quarter touchdown. And initially, I think it was thought uh, when he got the MRI that you know maybe uh, he'll be out only a month. And they put him on injured reserve the other day. So he'll be out at least that long. But, you know, in talking to Bruce Arians, when they went back to work on Tuesday, sort of a bonus day for the Bucks because, you know, they had the, the extra days off with the Thursday night game last week. It didn't sound good. Um, basically, he, he gave kind of a range, which is, well, anywhere from four weeks to the end of the season. <laughs> so let's talk about the end of the season. He said they're still looking at some MRI stuff and getting a second opinion about what has to be done uh, or if anything, and we'll probably know in two days whether it's a season-ending type of injury. Look, my experience is that any time a team wants to get a second opinion uh, about a player's condition, that means they hated the first one. Um, you know, generally that says, well, you know, we, we think he's probably out for the season, but let's let's have a couple other people take a look at the pictures. And so um, that usually means a specialist – takes a day or so to get those those uh, film up there and, and, and let them uh, do their diagnosis or whatever, wherever it's headed. So, look, this would be a huge loss uh, for the Bucks. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And, and this is why, quite frankly, we're just through week one of the 2021 season, and already you've got a significant injury. And so when you talk about Super Bowl teams, when you talk about teams repeating and how difficult that is, well, this is it. This is the reason. Um, again, they played one game and they lost a critical player. Now, Sean Murphy Bunting, uh, you know, is their number two corner, I would say, on the on the club behind Carlton Davis, who had a terrific game, uh, you know, with an interception and three pass breakups, which I think led the NFL uh, in week one. But but you remember, I mean, Murphy Bunting was the guy as much as any player in that secondary that had an impact in the postseason. I mean, 
Uh, at one point, he had three straight games with at least one interception, and and they were huge. You know, all the all the turnovers are big in the postseason, but particularly when he got them. Um, you know, against Green Bay, for example, which set up the end of the first half that long touchdown pass from Brady to Scotty Miller. Um, that was his third straight game with at least one interception. So, you know, he's grown up a lot. Um, I, I think he's a guy that's also very versatile. And so you don't just lose Sean Murphy bunting from a starting cornerback position, but he actually plays two positions. When teams go three wide, um, which is, you know, usually you have three wide receiver sets or more about 66% of the time in the NFL, um, he moves in that slot corner position where he's inside. And that's sort of a specialized thing to do, right? You got to be able to uh, play down in the box if you have to support the run. You've also, um, you know, have to cover uh, pretty fleet wide receivers and sometimes big physical guys like a Chris Godwin who plays that position for the Bucks that have a two-way go. You know, you're not you don't have the sideline um, to sort of help you out in terms of coverage. Um, so those guys are hard to find, especially when they play two positions now. You know, the onus is going to be clearly on Jamel Dean. I mean, he's the next man up, and it's the next man up business. Jamel Dean came in that game the other night on Thursday, and they went right after him. Um, they they saw, you know, some fresh blood, and they just said, hey, we're going to test this guy. And he didn't really respond that well. Um, you know, he gave up a lot of catches, including a touchdown. On um, one uh, play, he had two penalties on, on really one play, a pass interference. Um, and that's, that's certainly, you know, hurt their cause as well. Now it was interesting because in talking to Bruce Arians and he wouldn't elaborate, uh, he said, well, you know, that Dean had quote, some other things going on that affected him, I think. Okay. Well, that sounds personal in nature. You know, hopefully he's through that, whatever problems there may have been. I, I don't know that it's physical. We'll see if he appears on the injury report, which will be you know coming out later today for the Atlanta game. Um, but he said he has all the confidence in the world in him. And really, Dean has played a lot of football. You know, he had arguably one of the bigger plays of the season. They were playing the Green Bay Packers. They got down 10 to nothing quick. And then Jamal Dean had the pick six in that game, and they wound up you know scoring like 31 answered points and beating Green Bay. So, so that was a, a memorable, huge play. I think getting the reps in practice, you know, knowing he's going to start um, preparing, you know, for the Atlanta Falcons who have no shortage of talent on the offensive side of the ball, obviously, um, I, I, you know, they think he'll be fine. Now, what will also help them in this game and, and what showed up, you know, after Murphy Bunting got hurt is they may get Jordan Whitehead back. And that's huge, right? So you, you were shorthanded to begin with. You lost Murphy Bunting in that game. Um, at one point, I think Mike Edwards came out, so you were down a safety, you were down a corner. If they can get Jordan Whitehead, who's been battling a hamstring injury, and he thinks he's about 90%, we'll know later today how he appears on the injury report, what he's able to do in the practice. But that gives you your full, your two safeties, right, your two starting safeties with him and Antoine Winfield Jr. But it also allows you some flexibility because I think it's going to take a couple guys to replace Sean Murphy Bunting. I think you're going to need a slot corner. Um, when they go three wide, that can be any number of players. You could move Antoine Winfield in that spot um, and then play Mike Edwards. Uh, you know, you could use Mike Edwards. Uh, you know, Ross Colton played there. So 
you know, the depth uh, certainly would help with the return of Jordan Whitehead. Uh, they absolutely need that to have have that happen. But this is not an insignificant injury. When you when you look at the teams that they will have to beat, um, you know, even in their own division with the New Orleans Saints, who I know are down, Michael Thomas and some guys, but just beyond that, right, the Green Bay Packers, um, the L.A. Rams, who they play next week, uh, you know, that's going to be a tough test against Matthew Stafford. You can't afford to really lose any corners at this point. And corner is one of those it's one of those positions you're just not going to find. There's no there's no guys just hanging out there uh, on the corner that are good corners on the street. You know, I've thought of veterans that they may bring in, you know, would they look at a Richard Sherman, you know, who is uh is not playing football right now. I don't know that the tape's any good or I I think he would be out there. And uh, and yet you know, one more injury, and they may find themselves uh, in, a, in a totally different situation than they do now. So you, you just don't want those injuries to attack one part of your football team, whatever position that may be. But defensive back, man, I'm telling you, uh, it was not the strength of the football team. To begin with, those guys are growing. They're getting better. You know, the grave diggers, all of that. But they're going to have to – it's going to take a village because – uh, you know their depth is already being tested, and and that's not a good thing. Some other news: uh, Bruce Arians said that uh, despite being off all those days after the Thursday night game, everybody came back. No one tested positive for COVID. That's as good a news as you could you could hope for. Uh, by contrast, get this: at least eight eight members of the Saints organization, many of those coaches, have tested positive. Uh, according to my sources, Adam Schefter reported, and the entire team is now under enhanced mitigation protocols. That's daily testing, mandatory masks, et cetera, regardless of their vaccination status. The Saints team has been through some stuff now. Now, they got displaced by the hurricane. They've been in Texas. They've been practicing at a bunch of different facilities. Their whole families are down there. Some 250 people, I think, accompanied the players. And, um, you know, despite beating Green Bay handily in the opener now, they're going to be without a lot of their a lot of their coaches, and who knows how long or how far that spreads, right? Who knows if that starts to begin to affect players? So that's certainly uh, not a good thing at all for for the Saints, and, and fortunately for the Bucks, they had no positive tests as of yet, so they look good heading into this game two of the uh, 2021 season against the Atlanta Falcons. Some other things uh, we talked a little bit about penalties. You know, they were penalized 11 times for 106 yards. That's something that they had solved last year after the Chicago game just, again, goes to show you how every year is different. You know, when you ask Arians about that, he says, look, that was last year's team. Now we're under this year's team. So what we did last year again in Chicago does not fix it for us here. So some of those were pre-snap penalties on offense. You definitely want to eliminate those. Those are controllable. Uh, You know, again, we mentioned the past interferences and things like that. So something to watch in game two to see if they can clean that up. Another thing that was interesting is Bruce Arians talked about Ronald Jones. And, you know, he'd said to us the other day that Jones was benched after his his fumble in that game against Dallas because he, quote, struggled mentally to get over that fumble. I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know how you get over it until you're put back into the game, which he clearly wasn't. So, you know, fumbling inside your own 25 to set up a touchdown, never saw the ball again. Talked to Byron Leftwich. He said they're not worried about Rojo. You know, he's he's a special running back. He's got talent. They all know that. 
And Bruce Arian said that they're going to go back to him and, and that he would start. And he didn't start the first game. That's what's unusual about, you know, well, he'll start again. But he didn't start the first game. Leonard Fournette did. So, you know, Fournette now is, you know, I guess going to be the second running back in this game against Atlanta. But, you know, for Rojo, I guess it's good news that, you know, they have all the confidence in him. He'll get the rock again. Hopefully he'll hang on to it this time and and we'll go some, from there. Some some other interesting news, and uh, Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com wrote this story about Zach Triner. You know, their long snapper the last few years has been perfect. It's hard to get. Hard to get a guy that's not going to have a bad snap, right? And Triner has been terrific. We knew about Sean Murphy bunting and his dislocated elbow. That was obvious to everybody. What we didn't know is that Triner, who's been their snapper since the start of the 2019 season, that game-winning field goal, which he was the center for and snapped perfectly back you know, to Bradley Pinion for the field goal by Ryan Suckup, yeah, he did that with a, a torn tendon in his finger that he received early in the season opener. Didn't even tell anybody about it. Players didn't know about it. I don't think the coaches knew about it uh, until they got in there, you know, the day after on Friday. And, you know, it's a serious injury. It was a torn ligament in his finger. So he's going to be out probably for about, I don't know, 12 weeks maybe, 10 to 12 weeks. So the Bucks went ahead and signed uh, former Jags Jaguars long snapper Carson Tinker, uh, who spent like four full seasons from 2013 to 16 in Jacksonville, and then his career was sort of derailed by knee injuries, and that's why he's sort of been out of football. But uh, he was in camp, or in the Bucks facility, I should say, on Tuesday. Looked okay. He's a guy that's done it. You want experience in that position if you can get it. Uh, this is somebody that uh, you know has played seventy three career games with five different teams, or, or no, that was I'm sorry, correct myself. Uh, he he has uh, been a snapper in this league for a number of years. The knee injury hurt him, so he, he's a guy that uh, obviously they have confidence in going forward. So that was sort of the news, uh, you know, with the Bucks. I think that you know we also had a chance to talk a little bit with Jaden Mickens and Jaden Mickens was one of those guys that, you know, he was cut again. It was like the fourth time at the end of the regular season. He wasn't on the 53. They signed him back to the practice squad and we didn't know really what his role would be. We figured, well, they're going to go with, you know, Jalen Darden, the rookie and that they drafted in the fourth round. But instead they activated Mickens and he was their kick returner. And on game day, it was Darden who was inactive. And you know what? It was the right decision. I mean, Mickens returned three kickoffs. He averaged 30.7. He had two punts uh, that averaged 10.5. And, you know, he's a team-first guy. I mean, it was really it was really interesting talking to him. He has always been a fighter in the bottom of the roster, wherever he's been, undrafted out of the University of Washington. Uh, a guy that's also been a was a pretty good receiver in college, but now has turned into a specialist. And he said that uh, they even had a couple of meetings with without coaches before this game last Thursday, just to get everybody in line. You know, the Bucks were the worst return team in the NFL kickoff return team a year ago. 
They certainly wanted to improve that, and they did. They they invested a lot of draft picks, guys, you know, like uh, Joe Tryon, Shoinka, and um, you know Grant Stewart and others that could play special teams, and they did a nice job. They they blocked pretty well for Mickens, and he credited the ten guys in front of him for you know a lot of a lot of his success. What's what's cool about about J Mick is that he's willing to mentor Darden, even though. You know, that guy could potentially or probably will likely take his job one day. Uh, the Bucs just didn't want to put him out there for the first game. You know, first game of the National Football League season, a lot of bright lights, the Dallas Cowboys, all of that. So they went with Mickens, and, you know, he wound up, after the Cowboys took a 16-13 lead, he had that long return, 41 yards, to the Tampa Bay 43. Uh, and that set up, you know, Antonio Brown's 47-yard touchdown catch on a two-play drive from from Tom Brady. So good interview with him. That story is also on Tampa Bay.com in the Tampa Bay times. You want to make sure that you have a chance to read that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue Nile.com. You can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, Neil Solons joins us now. And uh, Neil, the Rays, as we do this podcast, a uh, little bit of a tailspin. I think they've lost four out of five. That may have changed by the time you're listening to this, but... I guess where we would start is is the pitching. And, you know, clearly they've uh, got Shane McClanahan's on the IL. Um, you know, they've used a number of, of different pitchers this year to say the very least, uh, guys back and forth on the shuttle to Durham and whatnot. Um, how concerned, if any concerns, should, should Rays fans have? Uh, just sort of we're not used to seeing them get behind in games, I guess, and, and, and have some of those rough innings. Um, I guess most of us probably forgot what happened in April or June um, because they were probably worse during those stretches. I mean, you know, if you go back and remember when Tyler Glasnow was injured in the two or three weeks thereafter or in April when the team was 500 for the first 40 games, they didn't pitch it or catch it particularly well. And I'm not so concerned about a five-day stretch um, you know, where they haven't pitched particularly well. Um, you know, in Shane McClanahan's case, could they have had him continue to pitch if the team didn't have a nine-game lead in the division at the time? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they're looking at the long-term big picture, and if and they're also playing 26 games in 27 days right now. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, I expect some blips. Um, obviously I can understand fans being upset, concerned, disappointed, all of the above. Rick, you cover football for a living. Um, it's not a 17 game season. It's 162. And, you know, I think this group will be fine. Ultimately, um, it's not great to see them go through stretches like this, but it's part of it. Yeah. They've had an incredible year and, and of course on pace to, to, to win the most games ever, I guess, in franchise history. So let's not, let's not pick nits here just yet, but um, I would say, like, when I was watching the Tigers series, and, and, and Kevin Cash probably has to do this a little bit, right? Um, you're trying to set things up for the postseason. You want guys as fresh as they can possibly be going into October. 
it seemed at times, at least in the Tigers series, that, that maybe he held some guys back and maybe they were tired. I mean, we saw, you know, maybe we didn't see Colin McHugh in that series or, you know, certain certain guys out of the bullpen. Is some of that what you have to do this time of year um, with this kind of lead and knowing what's ahead of you in October? I think it's kind of the luxury of having a lead. And, and some of it I even thought, and I didn't ask Kevin this because, you know, it's it's, you know, not the kind of question I normally would ask, but, you know, do you play if if the Toronto if Toronto's playing let's say for a wild card with the Yankees, the Red Sox, the A's and the Mariners from an integrity standpoint, if you go all out for the Detroit games and put the Toronto games in more jeopardy by pitching Colin McHugh there and not in the Toronto series is is mm-hmm. are you you know hearing from other clubs about the way you're, you know, impacting sure. the other races? Um, you know, Detroit's not in the race. So should you have your uh, guns for, you know, in essence, your your full barrel of, of complimented pitchers, at least best you can for those for those games? I mean, they rested Colin McHugh for like a week between appearances. Um, yep. Some of it was just the score of the games. You know, David Robertson had a really tough outing on Sunday. He hadn't pitched in six days. And I do think there's a little bit of what I mentioned with you know, maybe the integrity of the playoff races. And I do think there's some, hey, let's get some guys some extra rest where we can or where at a lots. And that's why I'm not as concerned because I don't think that they're, you know, the games, when you get to the postseason, you have two games and then an off day and then two games and an off day. And if you're lucky enough to get to the championship series, at most you're playing three games in an off day. Um, at that point, guys pitching two out of three days, I'm not so concerned about, um, right. or even three out of four, three out of five. So that's why I, I I look at this as you know you're not playing 26 out of 27 in the postseason, which you are now. One guy that has stepped up, and they were looking, you know, um, for some some other starters. Obviously, we know McClanahan and Batino have done terrific. Is Drew Rasmussen? Um, talk about him and just how they've been able to utilize this guy and, and how you've seen him develop as a starter. Well, you know, I, I think long-term, I think part of the reason the Rays made the trade for Willie Adamas is a, obviously because of, you know, they had Taylor Walls and Wander Franco coming up. Um, but B, because I think they really did believe not only in JP Fireisen, but more so Drew Rasmussen. And I think they saw Drew long-term as a starter. Now, did they anticipate using him this year as a starter? I think, obviously, it was kind of situational. Um, you know, they've been very careful with him. Um, they've stretched him out to, to five innings. Um, but I think what I've liked most is not only the pure stuff, because he's got plus-plus stuff. Um, he's aggressive in the strike zone. He's not afraid. He comes right at hitters. Um, and, you know, I think that approach has played well because on a limited pitch count or a limited innings usage – um, because he is a guy who has come back from two Tommy John surgeries, um, you know it's it's really really important um, to uh, to be efficient and to go after hitters. And he has certainly done that um, with really good stuff. And he has trusted his stuff and bought into everything the Rays have. And remember, this is a guy the Rays actually drafted out of college. Didn't sign him because he needed that second Tommy John. And now they've traded for him. And so far, so good. We've seen uh, more than their share of injuries, Neil, um, particularly on the pitching staff. Chris Archer maybe being the latest. Do you think we've seen the last of him uh, maybe as a Ray? I I wouldn't be shocked if that were the case. I mean, 
you know, I, I don't know. Once he came back, I, I, I kind of hoped that he was more, you know, regular season help um, in terms of, you know, being able to provide some innings and eat up innings in a stretch where I knew there were, you know, a, a fair amount of games. Um, you know, I, I didn't know whether his stuff would rebound enough to be of help in the postseason. And what we had seen, he just, you know, he, he was 90, 93 with his fastball, which, you know, when you get to postseason, I do think that the more guys that you have, you swing and miss, the better off you're going to be. So, you know, I, I hope for his sake that he's able to come back. But at this point, you know, if he has even a 10-day period where he can't throw, um, that makes it very difficult for him to come back and, and pitch again this year, I would think. Certainly does. And uh, while we're on pitching, I'll go ahead and ask you about the postseason because we're not that far away from it. We certainly expect the Rays uh, to be a part of that. I'm not trying to jinx them here, but you know, there's still work to do, obviously, on that end. Um, but if if they when they get there, how do you see this plan sort of working out? In other words, um, who would be their starters? You, you mentioned the days off. That's certainly going to help. Um, and I would think, like it has all year, their bullpen is going to is going to be a big part of their story uh, going forward in the postseason. But at least, is you know, does it set up? Or how does it set up? Let me ask you that. How do, how would their top two, three pitchers go? This this is just a guess, um, right? And and obviously no uh, inside information, um, right? But my thought process would be, if you're in a best of five series, um, mm-hmm. and let's just start there, Shane McClanahan would pitch games one and five because mm-hmm. you would have two days off you know, in between games two and three and yeah. four and five. So in essence, you're getting six days between um, appearances. And then however you want to draw it up, I would think that a Drew Rasmussen would pitch one game, Luis Patino would pitch another game, and another game probably going into an off day would be an opener. You know, you mm-hmm. could pitch in a, in a bullpen type day where you use, I would think you'd have those three pitchers and probably – it's a 26-man roster, nine or ten guys who would be, um, you want to call them relievers, you want to call them bulk guys, you could use, you know, and, and I think there's a competition to determine who those guys are. Um, and I think you'll probably have, my guess is, of the relievers, the majority of those nine or ten guys would be guys that can pitch multiple innings. And so you're not going to have guys who are going to fatigue. If you go five or six innings with Shane McClanahan in game one, you can go, if he gets six, you can go one, one, one if you want. Mm-hmm. But if you need someone to go two or three, you do it there. And then you, you know, you turn around and address game two with a bunch of two or three inning guys, very similar to um, if you remember the last game of the Yankees series, when the Rays went, I think it was what glass now, Anderson Fairbanks and Castillo, not in that particular order. Um, I think the difference here is, is that most of the guys in the Rays bullpen, I think they, I thought last year they heavily relied on three relievers, Castillo, Fairbanks, and Anderson. I think this year they probably will have eight or nine guys who I think they all have a fair amount of confidence in at different levels, and a lot of those guys can pitch multiple innings without you worrying about you know how they're going to react going forward. You know, are they vulnerable at all to some left-handed hitters, especially out of the bullpen? I mean, are there enough lefties, do you think, when they get to the postseason to, to handle that? That, especially um, if they were to face a Houston in the postseason, that's my biggest worry. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, I look at some of the teams that they have struggled against. And, and obviously on Monday they had a, a tough game against Toronto. But, you know, um, I think Toronto's hit everything lately that's been thrown <laughs> at them. And, 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 and to be frank, I don't know that, you know, the guy who had the most trouble against him, Ryan Yarbrough, would be a guy who would pitch a ton in the postseason um, unless it's the right matchup. Um, you know, I do think that, um, you know, teams that are very lefty laden are the ones that have given the Rays most trouble. If you look at the other, you know, prior to the Toronto series, the only series they've lost since the All-Star break are Detroit, which was, you know, and they easily could have won that series and Minnesota on the road. And, and both those teams have a lot of switch hitters and lefties. Um, the Yankees, should they make the playoffs, are still very right-handed heavy and, even the lefties they have are very much swing and miss type lefties. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think the Red Sox, they have found a way to, to pitch to Devers and Verdugo because of all the experience against them. Chicago is extremely right-handed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that for me is why, you know, um, who knows if Seattle gets in, they concern me. Houston concerns me, especially uh, because of their righty lefty balance. Um, you know, but let's hope we get to that point. Um, if we do, um, yeah, that would be, as I look at the rosters, that would be one of my greater concerns. And um, I'm not surprised that the Rays are using Josh Fleming in relief down in Durham right now. I think they're trying to figure out how well his arm bounces back um, and see how he does in one and two and, and three inning stints. Um, because if they do face some lefty laden teams, and Ryan Yarbrough really hasn't, you know, the, the Blue Jays really didn't have any lefties in the lineup when he faced them. Um, you know, those two guys could be effective along with Dietrich ends, but let's get to that point first. You mentioned Durham. Are there guys down there that aren't currently on this roster? We haven't seen a lot of whether that's Brent Huntingwell or Shane Boz. I mean, are there, is there anyone you think might make it to the postseason roster? I think Shane Boz has a chance to make the postseason roster for sure. Um, I, I would, I would think that they would consider him. Um, you know, I, I would think it would be in a similar spot to one Shane McClanahan. Um, you know, I think, um, it it will depend on where they feel he's at. You know, if you remember last year, Shane McClanahan really wasn't used in what I would consider a leverage situation. Um, he was used in much lower leverage spots, but I do think there is something to be said for a guy that you think is a big part of your future pitching in those situations and how it helps a guy going forward. You know, I had conversations on my recent um, interview with Shana uh, that I did for our This Week in Rays baseball program, and he felt that the, he does not feel nerves or as nervous in bigger games because his major league debut is in the postseason, and he thinks that whole experience mm. has helped him. And I do wonder, you know, out loud, similarly, could that help a Shane Boz? Um, and, and I think probably somebody who hasn't gotten a lot of attention, and I don't know if the Rays would consider it, um, but a guy who has to be protected this offseason and who I know they like a lot is Tommy Romero. Um, Tommy's one of those guys with one of those what you would call invisible fastballs. And I think he struck out 13 in his last start um, last week for Durham. Um, he would be a guy they have to protect. And if you're going to protect him anyway, you know, would you consider rostering him um, come postseason time? Um, I think those are probably guys that I would I would think as more likely possibilities um, you know, I think if they need a, some innings eaten in the regular season, I could see them calling up Brent Honeywell. Um, that's certainly possible, but Boz and, and Romero are the two guys that I would think, you know, maybe have a better postseason chance, if at all. 
Look, there's been a lot of talk. Obviously, the Rays are trend centers, okay? Like a lot of the things that, that they've initiated we see is now the norm in baseball. And certainly people have picked off enough of their front office and managers as well um, to know that, that baseball respects the Rays and, and their innovativeness and creativeness. Um, there's been a ton of guys, as I mentioned earlier, go back and forth. Um, some, of the, some of them ad nauseum, right, between Durham. They've used, they've used their whole roster to say the very least, and a lot of that is, is due to injury. Um, I look at it, Neil, as opportunity for these guys. I don't know how many of these guys may have spent as much time in the majors as they would have if not for the Rays' willingness to do this. Um, how do you? What's, what's your take on just the total use of, of, of you know going back and forth like that on, on, on sort of the shuttle, if you will? I, I think some of it has gotten probably – um, you know, I, there was a, there was an article and, and I'm bringing more attention to it, which I probably shouldn't, but that Tom Verducci wrote in Sports right. Illustrated, which was somewhat, I thought, derogatory. Mm-hmm. And it, it basically painted the Rays as a small market team that's doing this and, and it's, it's an affront. And then I took a look at the Dodgers and they had used more pitchers and players than the Rays had. <laughs> like, wait a second. It's okay for the big market team to do it. It's not okay for the small market team to do it. I, I, I didn't get that. And and the Rays have used less position players than most of the teams that are currently in the playoff line. I think right. the Yankees have also used more pitchers than the Rays have this year, uh, or at least more players total. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of these guys, if it were not for all the injuries, would have not gotten the opportunity. Look, mm-hmm. Lewis Head, I think Mark Topkin wrote about this, has right. made more this year playing baseball than he made in his last his first 10 years as a professional combined Wow! Uh, because of the opportunity that he was given. And obviously yeah. he's been up and down a number of times. But how about look at the good aspect of this? That, yeah. you know, how many organizations had a chance to give this guy an opportunity at the big leagues? It's the Rays who did. It's the Rays who saw something in him. And you can look at so many guys who have had very, very limited opportunities, even over the last two or three years, um, that now are getting opportunities either with the Rays or other clubs. Um, you know, and, and, and I think part of that is, you know, how they are able to, you know, Dietrich Enns is another example of a guy right. who only appeared in a big league game in 2017 before this year. Um, you know, and um, Lewis had to play 10 professional years as 31 is making his big league debut. Should you look down on an organization that's that's finding something special in guys? Or should you say, hey, maybe we missed out on something. Maybe we didn't realize this. Maybe these guys are doing something really good about right. the way they talk to players and give them chances that others otherwise would not have. And just listen to Lewis Head, who called it, quote, a blessing um, mm-hmm. for all the opportunity that he's gotten, as you mentioned, uh, in his career to uh, to pitch in the majors this year. Um, as far as the lineup goes, listen, um, <clears throat> you were on this guy, everybody, baseball, Wander Franco. Let's see what he does when he gets to the majors. He starts out hot 0 through 18. And, oh, by the way, now he's putting himself in <laughs> classes above Mickey Mantle and names like this with his on-base uh, streak. He's injured right now. Um, certainly they expect or hope to get him back um, at least by the postseason, if not a little bit before. I look at their lineup, Neil. They've never had a better offense since I've, since I've known the Rays. Uh, we, can, we can pull out all the numbers and, and the runs after the seventh inning and just runs in general. Um, and I know that some of this seemed to have started maybe or at least improved after Nelson Cruz got here. Uh, you, you've talked about this. I, I mean, I th- – I like Nelson Cruz, and he's done some nice things, and it's certainly lengthened their lineup. But Wander Franco is the guy 
for me that has caught fire and and really has it has made this lineup so potent in many many ways I think it's both. Um, you know, I think I think the presence of Nelson Cruz may have also helped Wander Franco a lot. I mean, Absolutely. if you take a look at when Wander started to take off, mm-hmm. part of it is when Nelson arrived. And and I think when the Rays got Nelson, one of the key things that Eric Neander said was, we think he's going to help on the field, but we think he's going to help immeasurably in the clubhouse. And, you know, if you noticed, if you remember before Wander took off, they moved him down in the lineup and they could afford to do that because they had Nelson Cruz in the lineup, too. And yeah. all of a sudden he goes from hitting two or three to hitting, you know, five or six. Um, and I think that took the pressure off a little bit. And then I think um, Nelson has said that Wander would ask him questions every day that he was mm-hmm. curious and he wanted to learn from someone that he respected and had been there, done that for, you know, you know, 15, 20 years. And, you know, he's hit almost 450 home runs now as, as we tape this. And, and I think all of that has had a really positive impact. And I think, you know, getting to see the work ethic of a guy who's 41 years of age and mm. what he's doing to achieve, I think has helped, um, you know, beyond that, obviously Wander has done the work and has a special talent. And the sooner he comes back, the better. Um, you know, I think both of them have had, tremendous impacts on the group um you know they have kind of now solidified well they had before wonders injury solidified the top of the lineup and you know assuming reports continue to be good about wonders um coming back from that you know slight hamstring strain you know hopefully 20 year olds recover quicker than anybody um and we get to see him you know maybe even that in that last you know home series and and last week of road games so he can get some games under his belt, make sure he's good to go and, and be in a really good spot. I certainly want to make sure that he's as close to 100% as he can going into the uh-huh. postseason, which brings me to let's say that the Rays are in it. They win the AL East. I know we're, we're putting our counting our chickens here a little bit, but uh-huh. um, <clears throat> from a wild card standpoint, you mentioned some of the other clubs that, that are in, in this race. Would it benefit the Rays – because they know Boston, because they know Toronto, because they know the Yankees, to come out of this thing and play them early on as opposed to one of the other teams that you mentioned? Um, I, I mean, you, you, I guess you, you have no choice in whoever it is. Sure. Um, if, if I were to say, okay, who would you least want to play among the division teams, I probably would say Toronto right now. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think their lineup is better. No knock on Boston or or New York, but I do think those teams have more swing and miss. Toronto and Houston have the lowest strikeout rates right now hmm. um, of the contenders, and um, you know, and I think just like the Rays, they're very young, and sometimes I think you can be young and naive in a good way. And I think yeah. the fact that they've added Simeon and Springer to that lineup. Um, and it, they're a very different team when those two guys are healthy. It's and, and every, I think every time Springer runs a ball out and he, and Monday night, he ran out a ball, a double play ball with a big lead. And I'm sitting there thinking, boy, that, and the way he hit the bag, you're thinking, uh, did he is tweak something again? And he, you know, continued to play. I mean, he's only DHing, um, mm-hmm. and not playing the outfield as much, but I just think his presence in the lineup means a lot to that group. And I think, you know, they've got, some dangerous starting pitchers. I still am not a hundred percent sold on their bullpen. If they get in the postseason, you know, once they get in the postseason, but they did have the experience. They did lose to the Rays. Um, you know, if you got to face them, you got to face them. 
Um, I'm sure there were some who would say, "Hey, I'd rather see, I'd rather not see Red Sox and Yankee fans in the building." But I don't know. Um, I'm I'm okay with the Rays having to beat those teams. They'll probably be counted out by. You know, to be honest, if if they if they have a, a slump here at the end of the season, probably most of the national media will say they were a nice regular season story, and that'll give them some motivation for the postseason. <laughs> so, however it plays out, I think they'll be okay. Lots of motivation for sure. And I, you know, you may have said this. I I've heard Dave uh, Wills and them I think reference you about this. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But uh, and I think it's true that we're used to seeing the Rays when they get in the postseason or any time for that matter, you know, win games three to two, two to one, four to three. This might be one of those type of, of years um, because they've demonstrated with their offense and, and in the postseason where you might win six games, six to four, seven to five. Um, the, the offense is good. It's going to have to be their offense when they, when they get to October. It definitely. Uh, you know, at least in, you can't do it every game. Um, you hope so. But, you know, you're going to sure. have to win a 2-1 or a 3-2 game. But I definitely sure. think this team is more capable. I mean, look, the reason that, you know, so many people point back to the World Series and say, well, you know, what if a move was made here or there? They, you know, they look back at, at Blake's situation. And I, I think Dave, Andy, and I have all agreed. They scored three runs total in the last two games of the World Series. That's yeah. why they lost. They just didn't yeah. hit enough. Yeah. Um, and, and when they didn't win in the postseason, it was because they didn't hit enough. Look, they... They had to win a two-one game to get by the Yankees in Game Five of the ALDS, and and I, I do think that their lineup overall is better. Um, you know, I think it's thicker. I mean, you know, assuming that Wander and Nelson are healthy, and look, Brandon Lau's had a couple of days off because of heavy legs too. You know, yeah. if if the lineup is healthy and and you've got a one through four of um, of of Brandon and Wander and Nelson Cruz and Austin Meadows, and now you're starting to talk down the line about you know. Um, you know, having a, a Mike Zanino hitting ninth with, you know, Joey Wendell hitting seventh against a right-handed pitcher and a Yandy Diaz near the bottom of the order against a lefty. I mean, it's it's a really thick group, um, and it is it is the strongest lineup they've had. They're going to end up, you know, one of the top three teams in the big leagues in run scored, I would think, when it's all said and done, and they haven't been that. So, you know... Um, and and I think some of these young players are just going to get better as we go. Uh, it's been tremendous to watch them this year. I mean, the home runs by um, by Brandon Lau, the, the RBIs by Meadows. I mean, uh, you know, we we know what Rosarena is capable of in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Wander Franco. This is a fun, fun team to watch. It's been one of the most enjoyable years for Rays fans. They've got a couple series coming up at home. I know they're going to have some ten dollar tickets, and, and uh, hopefully they'll fill that building and people have a chance to. Uh, to see them and get behind them as they make this push towards October. He's Neil Solons, the race pre- and post-game host. You also hear him on This Week in Race Baseball. Neil, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Anytime, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Always great to catch up with Neil. Great information there. My thanks to him. Also, tomorrow, you want to make sure that you're on hand for the podcast. Going to be talking college football. Oh, boy. And what happened? To the Florida State Seminoles, losing to Jacksonville State. My, oh, my. You also had, uh, of course, Florida beating USF in their quote-unquote home stadium. What are the Gators going to do with their quarterbacks this week? And a big game, a really big game. The Alabama Crimson Tide come down to Gainesville. Oh, boy, in a swamp. And we've got a lot of big uglies with the heads knocking. It's going to be quite, quite the scene there in Gainesville as Alabama 
playing the Gators. We might see each other twice this year. Who knows? So we'll get into all of that and also talk a little Rays baseball as well in tomorrow's podcast. Keep you updated on the Bucks. Make sure you check out everything on TampaBay.com and the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 